listening to Closer Look. I'm Bob Dittman. Our guest on Closer Look is Devera Cohn, senior writer and editor at Pew Research Center. Many of us decided to move during the pandemic. Did that increase as the pandemic continued? We found that about overall in our survey last November that about one in 20 adults told us that they had moved permanently or temporarily due to the coronavirus outbreak. What was the major reason why people moved? Well, we asked specifically, did you move due to the coronavirus outbreak? And then we asked them further, what was the main reason you moved beyond that? And we did find some interesting changes. At first, we found that family reasons were a very important driver of why people moved. But as the pandemic wore on and perhaps people began losing jobs, financial reasons became a more important driver of why people moved. About a third told us in November that financial reasons were the main cause of their move. How about college kids moving home because campus is closed? That certainly was a huge factor. It became less important as the pandemic went on because financial reasons emerged as a more important driver of people's decision to move. And in addition, some people who might have moved temporarily had then made a decision to rent or buy their own homes. Was there a percentage that moved due to the risk of getting COVID in urban centers? I mean, New York City was particularly hard hit early on. We didn't break it down by urban centers, but what we did ask was, did you move because the risk of getting COVID was greater where you were living? When we asked that question in June of 2020, we found about three in 10 adults said they moved because of the risk of COVID. And we found that that went down as the pandemic went on. How many decided to move because they could work remotely and decided they needed more space to do so? We had only about 1% say they moved because they could work remotely and about 2% who moved because they said they needed more space. But, you know, you raise the question of renting or owning your own homes. And let me talk a little bit about that because that gets to where people moved. When we talked to people in June, we found that about six in 10 moved into a family member's home among those who moved due to COVID. But that went down to about four in 10 by November of 2020. And some of the shift in where people were living had to do with those who had either bought or rented a long-term home for themselves or bought or rented a short-term place. So we did see some movement away from going to a family member's home to stay versus getting your own place. On Closer Look, we're talking about migration trends due to COVID with Devera Cohn of the Pew Research Center, and I'm Bob Dittman. Are people returning to where they lived before now that the pandemic is settling down? We did find that some did return. Now, remember, we asked people in our surveys, did you move permanently or temporarily due to the COVID pandemic? And we always thought that some people would, in fact, be going back to where they were living because the reasons for their move might have been temporary. They might have been worried about COVID, but that worry might have subsided. They might have left their college campus, but the campus may have reopened. So when we asked people, are you still living where you were before the pandemic, we did find that about three in 10 told us that they were back where they were before the pandemic began. Now, for those who relocated for pandemic reasons, how many said that their move was positive or negative for that matter? Yeah, that's a great question. People who moved because of the COVID pandemic, only about four in 10 said it had a positive impact. Now, about three in 10 COVID movers said the move had a negative impact. 
The rest of the movers said the impact was neither positive or negative. So, in fact, moving due to COVID was not a delightful experience for everybody. Is there a particular gender or group that moved more than others? Well, we certainly know that young adults, 18 to 29-year-olds, were more likely than other groups to move. And that's true in general of young adults. They're more able to move than other groups who might have either family or mortgages or other kinds of considerations keeping them in place. Among our survey, we found that about 11% of those ages 18 to 29 had moved due to the COVID pandemic, compared with overall among adults, about 5% who moved. So young adults' were lives were much more disrupted by the coronavirus outbreak, and they may also have more flexibility to move than other groups. I'm pretty sure I'm right on this, that in general, millennials and Gen Z tend to be at home a little bit longer than we used to in a few generations ago. So it's absolutely true that it's becoming much more normal, if you will, for young adults to stay at home with their parents or to go move back in with their parents. And in fact, another piece of work we did looked at young adults and found that the majority were living in a household with their parents for really it was the first time as of 2020. It was the highest share that had been recorded. The country began collecting data on this. So it certainly is a marked change from the past that was driven perhaps more by the pandemic, but also young people in general are more likely to be living with their parents now than in the past. Thanks for being our guest on Closer Look, DeVera. Thanks for having me. I'm Bob Dittman. Our guest on Closer Look is Jeff Ostrowski of Bankrate. Jeff is the senior mortgage reporter and writes about the housing market and real estate trends. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. Hey, Jeff, are Americans really on the move? Population migration has been talked about a lot and discussed extensively since COVID began. What have you seen? Yeah, it seems like Americans have started to move around the country again. I I mean, I remember back in the 80s and 90s, it was pretty common for people to move all around, to change jobs every few years. And that really slowed down over the past 15 years or so, in part because uh, home prices have gone up pretty dramatically. But it seems like during the pandemic, people started moving around again. Although, according to census data, at least through June 30th of last year, most of the movement has been confined to a few states, primarily Texas and Florida, a lot of states are losing population. Do you think that there's a percentage of people that moved due to the risk of getting COVID? There definitely was a lot of talk about Manhattan emptying out during the pandemic. Certainly part of that was fear of catching the virus in a densely populated area. Now it seems like maybe the thinking has changed. They're reevaluating where they live. They're looking at housing costs. They're looking at tax structure. They're looking at lifestyle. And remote work has been found to be successful for some companies. Workers have been able to take advantage of that, but not just moving nearby, but also to other areas of the country where housing is cheaper. Yeah, there were a couple trends that have been going on over the decades. So we had this really wide divergence in home prices. So places like Cleveland and Detroit saw their home values not really even keeping pace with inflation over the period of about 1995 through 2020. And then you had areas like Denver and San Francisco and L.A. and Boston, where home prices just soared. This big gap opened up in home values between some of these high-value areas and the rest of the country, especially the Midwest, where home prices just really didn't go up that much. So I, I think a lot of Americans have realized they can arbitrage their housing costs. They were fortunate enough to have built up equity in some of these high-priced markets. In some cases, they're selling their houses and moving to lower-cost areas. 
Now, I've read that Illinois, New York, and New Jersey are three states with the most outbound moves. But aren't some just moving from the urban areas to nearby suburban areas? Yes, definitely. Realtors and appraisers in New York are reporting a lot of that. You know, people might be moving out of Manhattan, but it's not like they're moving out of Manhattan to uh, Georgia or Florida or, or Texas. They're just moving to suburbs in New Jersey or in New York. In a lot of cases, these moves aren't long-range migrations, but more sort of like short-range moves to half an hour, an hour away from where people were living before. What about some other areas? I know in Florida, there's always been a migration to some of these far-flung areas. In Atlanta, I just talked to some active adult developers who say that the sweet spot is kind of like an hour outside of Atlanta where uh, workers are moving, but they can move just far away enough to get out of the traffic, but not so far away that they're far from their kids and their grandkids. So that whole drive to the qualified mantra has always been in effect and seems like it's even more so now that we've got this combination of COVID and remote working. Jeff Ostrowski of Bankrate is our guest on Closer Look, and I'm Bob Dittman. Jeff, tell us why housing prices might be an advantage for, say, someone who lives in San Jose, Manhattan, Boston, Seattle, or Denver. The reason that home prices have gone up so much in those areas is because those areas have had booming economies. I mean, obviously, San Jose has been the the epicenter of the tech industry for 25 years, and that industry has really enjoyed outsized growth. Manhattan has been the hub of the financial industry, which has done very well. So, you know, in a lot of ways, these soaring home prices really just reflect local salaries, local job opportunities. The the fact that people want to be close to the action and they're willing to take the hit on home prices and they're moving to to some of these high-cost areas. You mentioned Denver. Denver has seen huge price appreciation, and it's gotten some of the spillover and outflow from Silicon Valley over the decades. Folks in these areas who were fortunate enough to buy maybe a decade ago or, or 15 years ago have really enjoyed strong price appreciation. On the other hand, it's, those markets are really tough for first-time home buyers and for renters, and that's part of the reason we're seeing some of this outflow from these high-cost areas into some lower-cost areas where people can work remotely. Do you think housing prices in higher-priced areas are going to continue to appreciate at their current pace? And why would that be an incentive to stay put? That has been the the other side of this. So people love to look at the lower cost areas and, and think there's more opportunity there. If you moved to Detroit or Cleveland 25 years ago, your house hasn't really appreciated. On the other hand, if you moved to San Jose or to New York City, you paid a lot. It it felt like you were making a sacrifice to buy a house in one of those areas, but you've really been rewarded for making that investment. I guess the trend over the decades has been that costly housing markets have stayed costly and have tended to appreciate. And then in some of the other markets that we've been talking about, places like Dallas and Atlanta and Phoenix, there's really not a big constraint on supply. Builders can keep going out and and building in farther flung areas as much as they want. Idaho, known for their delicious potatoes, also beautiful country too. That can be a draw, but I think there's a little more to it. Idaho and Utah in particular have really seen huge home price appreciation over the past few years. And that's really the California effect and to a lesser extent, the Seattle effect. We've seen Californians saying, hey, we, it just doesn't make sense to own a home here anymore. Prices have skyrocketed so much. Let me cash out and move to a cheaper area. And intriguingly enough, home prices in Idaho and Utah don't look cheap compared to some other parts of the country. I mean, they're much more expensive than the Midwest and much of the Southeast. I'm Bob Dittman, and this is Closer Look. We're talking with Jeff Ostrowski of Bankrate on population migration and some of the reasons why people are moving or not.
Jeff, how much do tax rates contribute to companies moving from one state to another? And are employees willing to make the move? Tax incentives are certainly, you know, a tried and true way for states and localities to recruit employers. Pretty much every state in the country dangling some kind of tax incentives in terms of property tax breaks, corporate income tax breaks, sales tax breaks. So definitely employers are willing to move, willing and eager to move for these tax breaks. Employees maybe aren't always quite so eager, although in Florida, for instance, there's been a big influx of hedge funds and financial firms leasing office space from New York and trying to get some of their employees to come down. The consensus is that employees don't move en masse, but they are willing to move gradually if the employers give them enough of a heads up. In some ways, companies are hedging their bets. So we've got the big Wall Street firms are still on Wall Street, but then they're opening outposts in lower cost areas. The big tech firms are still based in Silicon Valley in Seattle, but they're also opening uh, facilities in lower cost places. This has really been sort of an ongoing trend over the decades. The latter end of the boomer generation is getting ready to retire. Do you think they're going to be staying put? Or are they really moving to places like Florida and Arizona? That's such a personal decision. Where you decide to live, where you decide to retire is just such a subjective and personal decision. You're going to base it in part on what you want to do. Do you want to play golf and tennis or do you want to ski? It's going to be based in large part on where your friends and your family and your grandkids live. Yes, it does seem like Florida and Arizona are still getting these waves of retirees. In some ways, Florida and Arizona, which were you know marketing themselves to retirees based on cost for decades, they're no longer the cheap options that they once were. So now places like Georgia and Tennessee are much more affordable than Florida. It'll be intriguing to see if the mix of retirees changes, if it's more affluent retirees going to some of these places that were once the havens for the very middle class retirees. Jeff Ostrowski of Bankrate is our guest, and I'm Bob Dittman. This is Closer Look. Jeff, some states and cities are offering bounties or incentives to move. Now, you know of an example of an outbound move from California to Kansas. Well, in this case, it was a single guy who moved from Palo Alto to Topeka, as you mentioned. And Topeka is one of the cities that's saying, hey, come live here. In this case, the guy I spoke to was a video game designer. He realized he could work from anywhere. He was never going to be able to afford a home in Silicon Valley. So he moved to Topeka and bought a big house for something like $100,000. This is another thing that's, you know, certainly it's interesting. I enjoy writing about it. It grabs headlines. I don't know that there's really going to be a mass migration of people, but that's just one more illustration of this trend where you've got some places of the U.S. have very affordable housing and other places have very unaffordable housing. And so some of the economic developers in the unaffordable markets are trying to use this as a marketing tool. West Virginia, Arkansas, Indiana, Maine have all been offering various incentives. In some cases, it's $10,000 or $15,000 to move into town. In some cases, there are a lot of uh, caveats that go along with this. So, uh, for instance, uh, you can get up to $15,000 to move to Natchez, Mississippi, but it requires you buying a home of a certain amount to cash in on some of these incentives. It's going to require an outlay on the part of the person who's moving in, and it's definitely going to require you to disrupt your life. So uh, I'm not sure how many people are really going to move across the country just for $10,000. However, this is a way for these cities to entice people who had already been considering making a move. Well, I'm guessing also that some of these incentives may have been put on pause due to an overwhelming response. There's a 
Pulse a remote program that brings people in to work remotely for a year and to offers them co-working space. And that program hasn't been put on pause, but it was overwhelmed. There were thousands of applications for a few dozen spots. I know in Chattanooga, Tennessee as well, there was an incentive there that had been put on hold also just because the program had sort of lived up to or exceeded its expectations. Thanks, Jeff, for being our guest on Closer Look. Well, thank you. I enjoyed the conversation. I'm Bob Dittman. Our guest on Closer Look is Evan Hawk of Make My Move. Evan is a co-founder, and we'll be talking with him about moving incentives or bounties offered by cities and states to encourage you to move to their locale. Evan, the pandemic caused a lot of people to look at their jobs and how they're working, particularly since a lot of employers found that remote work isn't such a bad thing. How much do you think the pandemic influenced people in the recent past and families and people actually making a move? It's a great question. And I think we're living through one of the biggest events of our life. I mean, the, the pandemic certainly accelerated a trend that had been growing for a long time, the trend towards remote work. Pre-pandemic, there was about 5 million people working remotely full-time. We think that number is about 30 million right now. And so millions of people were introduced to the concept for the first time. To your question of, does that actually make people mobile? 30% of the remote workers that we talked to said, Said that they plan to move in the next 18 months. And half of them said that they would move if they were given an incentive of $10,000 or more. Evan, what are moving incentives or bounties? What would be a typical incentive? So a lot of communities that maybe historically have incentivized companies to relocate to their regions are offering direct incentives to remote workers to pick up and move. And so these can range from cash to maybe loan forgiveness. They're usually around $10,000, but some of them can be as high as $20,000. Are they working? They appear to be. From every program that we've talked to, they exhaust their budget every year. So we find that remote workers are taking them up on the offers. These are often folks that maybe hadn't considered these locations to begin with, but they're considering them based on the incentive. And once they get introduced to the communities, uh, they tend to fall in love with them. And so we're finding that remote workers are moving in mass and they're often choosing these communities that are offering the, the incentives to do so. Well, have you seen a particular region of the country that's offering people incentives more than others? Often it's communities that maybe historically have been shrinking. Maybe they've been shedding residents for the last decade or so. So there's a lot of communities in the Midwest and the Northeast, some in the Southeast. These are places that maybe traditionally have been considered flyover countries. So some of the most popular offers, uh, West Lafayette, Indiana, Southwest Michigan, Topeka, Kansas. These are places that have great communities, great cost of living, really affordable, and a place that folks can kind of get involved in the community. Great places to live. And these programs are really kind of a marketing channel. It's a way for those communities to get the word out that they're in recruitment mode. And our job with Make My Move is to sort of serve as a clearinghouse for these offers. There's always some caveat to cash in on these incentives. So what are some of the things these cities and states are requiring for people wanting to make a move? By and large, they're looking for folks that have a remote job that they can bring that remote job with them. In other words, they can continue to, to be employed. Most of the programs will ask that the folks commit to staying for a minimum amount of time, usually at least a year, sometimes two. But beyond that, I think a lot of the communities are looking for people that want to get involved. So Tulsa, Oklahoma is a great example of this. They've accepted 750 people into their program. And a big part of that program is a network. So events that people can participate 
participate in. It's really a way for these remote workers not just to contribute financially through their tax revenue and spending in the local economy, but contribute to the community itself. West Lafayette, Indiana is another example of that. There's actually sort of networking programming built into the offering where folks have access to a host of resources, including getting to to meet people, both personally and professionally. So the idea is you're not going to go in there and buy a house and then flip it or something like that. You have to live there for a while. Most of the programs require at least a year of residence. And in most of the cases, they're qualifying people based on their interest to stay long-term. So often somebody that maybe expresses interest in moving permanently may get the nod over somebody that may have more temporary ambition. These programs are geared towards people that are looking for their next landing spot. What we are hearing from remote workers is that it's a really exciting time for them because for the first time, they're free to choose where they live independent of their employer. They can choose based on their personal preferences. And so a lot of them are looking for a place that's more affordable, maybe a place that they can buy some land and stretch out a bit. They're looking for a place where they can get involved in the community. Maybe that there are volunteer opportunities or ways that they could serve on local boards. They're looking for places that they can kind of connect to the region. And that's a stark difference from maybe where they're coming from, often coming from New York, San Francisco, LA, places that from their perspective have become pretty unlivable. So I think that what's attractive about some of these other communities is that it sort of solves a lot of the problems that they were facing in day-to-day life. So we expect them to stay. And I think that the communities are hoping that they do. All right. I'm Bob Dittman, and this is Closer Look. And we're talking with Evan Hawk. I make my move. There's a percentage that only moved out of the city into the suburbs, didn't really make cross-country moves or across state lines. Am I right? It's probably early to assess where everyone's going to go post-pandemic. I think a lot of people are still kind of waiting to see what their employers announced. What we did find in sort of the early migrations, big winners were in smaller cities surrounding big cities. That isn't to say that there wasn't large-scale cross-interstate moving. We saw quite a bit of that. And moving from big coastal cities, oftentimes inland. So there was large migration towards the Southwest, towards the Southeast, and Midwest as well. I think this was a trend that even preceded the pandemic. The census data showed some of this, that it kind of reinforced the concept that some of these bigger cities had become unlivable. But we expect about 1% of the population to move interstate every year. And I think that's probably going to be accelerated in the next 18 months as a lot of these remote workers are sort of planning that next big move. Tell us some of the reasons people and families would want to make a change. The number one reason that we found is one of affordability. Folks are looking for cheaper housing, maybe a place that they can afford a bigger house or more land. A lot of people are moving to be maybe closer to family or a place that they can start a family. Others maybe are wanting to move towards a better climate, sort of better outdoor amenities. We have a lot of folks that are kind of looking, they want to be close to the mountains or they want to be close to a body of water. I think the important thing to recognize is that it's a personal choice. If we think back to the industrial revolution, everybody migrated towards opportunity and towards the city centers. And this is really kind of that in reverse. So it's not migration towards opportunity, it's migration towards lifestyle. They can choose what they want to do and who they want to be surrounded by and pick a community that meets that need. And then some people are moving from smaller homes in big cities to larger homes in smaller cities. 
We see a lot of that. One of the most popular requests is people want to live on some acreage, but within reasonable proximity to a city big enough to have an airport. Seeing a lot of communities, maybe like Topeka, Kansas, like West Lafayette, Indiana, that offer cosmopolitan lifestyle, but can afford some real land and a nice home, often for a lot less than that tiny little apartment in the big city. Generally, are these people checking out the small towns or wherever they plan to move? They visit before they actually make that move? Often they do. Although we have seen folks making a move really just off of conversations that they're having with locals. But we certainly recommend kind of trying before you buy. It's a big decision. You want to make sure that you're going to be happy where you end up. A lot of folks maybe take a long weekend, stay in an Airbnb and get a sense for the local culture, the local restaurants, and what it'd be like to live there day to day. I'm thinking that might be a good idea. You know, try it and then buy it, so to speak, because if they go there on a whim and they don't like it, then they're kind of stuck. For a while, at least if they're wanting to collect the dollars. I mean, these incentives are a way to make the move easier. They're certainly not going to be enough to allow you to bounce around. So I think it's going to be important for folks to get a sense of whether they like the community, whether they'd be comfortable there, and make an informed decision. Evan Hawk is our guest from Make My Move. Evan, tax rates, they come into play too? That's certainly one of the decision points, especially when you're thinking about affordability. And a lot of those states I mentioned people are flocking from are those high tax states. States like Tennessee with no income tax, Indiana has low income tax. Really, folks are starting to realize how much further their money goes in some of these areas. If I'm a software engineer that works in Silicon Valley, maybe I I make $150,000, it can feel like you're getting a doubling of your income moving to some of these maybe Midwestern communities that you compare a lower cost of living plus a lower tax burden. It's pretty transformational for them. Now, some people can't move due to finances, but these incentives, how much do they play into this if people only knew? I think for a lot of people, it makes a huge difference. Survey, a 43% cite the moving expenses as a potential barrier to relocating. So when you think about a cross-country move, that might cost five, $10,000. So these incentives really are a great way to kind of just offset that, make the move easier. $10,000 may not seem like much, but if you're wanting to make a move, and certainly can go a long way in, in sort of offsetting the cost of the effort. Let's talk again about what it means for the communities. What is the bottom line? How is it going to help their community? Well, I mean, think about it like this. Communities are often willing to pay companies $10,000 or more per job that they bring uh, to the area. And they do that because they see a return on that investment. The business comes in and they pay taxes. They continue to employ people in the area ongoing. What we're finding is that remote worker recruitment is even more profitable. I mean, these people are enormously valuable. That same software engineer I mentioned, maybe she comes in, buys a house, you know, she's paying uh, income tax, she's eating out at restaurants, buying groceries. Within a few years, she's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars to that local economy. So for a modest $10,000, $15,000 investment, you get enormous returns ongoing. And keep in mind, these people often don't come alone. There's a network effect that as people move, they bring friends and family along with them. So the economics are clear. With small investments, you get a large return. 
Evan, is there anything you want to add before we wrap it up? Maybe just add a point of emphasis. I think we're seeing the very early stages of a great sort of reshuffling in the country. This is a huge trend. We're excited to see how it plays out. Evan, thanks for being our guest on Closer Look. Thanks for having me, Bob.